0: My name is Foggy Jack, and I'm the Shock Bazaar Mental Mentalist, and the host of the Foggy Jack Podcast. Now, let's head on down to the pumpkin patch for more. Hello everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Foggy Jack Podcast. Today, we're talking South Carolina haunts and orange alligators. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Foggy Jack live, not live, podcast. And uh, today we're talking South Carolina and Orange Gators. Now, there's quite a bit of haunted things when you uh, search South Carolina, uh, and some claim to have the most haunted cities or towns and that are within South Carolina. Um, it might be from the plantations or the history... Or, you know, it going back, you know, to colonial times. Um, But South Carolina does have a rich history of hauntings. Today we're gonna talk just two hauntings. Um, The first one is Magnolia Cemetery, located at 70 Cunningham, Cunnington Street, Charleston, South Carolina. And then we're also going to talk about the Dock Street Theater. That's later on in the show. Now, let's jump right in to the cemetery. The cemetery has winding drives through its oak-shaded acres with a posted speed limit of 15 miles per hour. Not wanting to miss anything, I was probably driving slower than when I approached the massive cemetery gates. A number of explosives left my mouth, and panic quickly set in. A couple of northern mockingbirds loudly scolded me from atop an adjacent tombstone. The welcoming sign list, the welcome sign listed rules for the cemetery, but no number in the event that you're locked in. In the city of so many fine homes and buildings, only I was first headed to the cemetery. But this place is so much more than just resting places for the dead. It's truly an art museum, a guide to three centuries of art and architecture, and a habitat of native plants and wildlife. I passed a couple of ponds within the cemetery and was excited to see a dead tree in the center of one pond with a number of water birds perching on perched on it. Even better, there were two life birds I saw there, wood storks and American white ibis. I had to pass graves that in most cases I would be drawn to in order to pursue more interesting graves. By the end of the first hour, I took, a, I took to riding in my car to avoid the mosquitoes and trying to photograph the most interesting graves closest to the drive among the more notable monuments in the grave is of rosalie raymond white situated next to one of the ponds the white family plot has some fascinating art but particularly interesting in the graves of young rosalie who died less than a year after her birth there's a hooded cradle um, and under this the hood the likeliness of the child according to dennis roth in her Ghost and Legends of Charleston, South Carolina, the likeness of the, is a death mask and one of the few th- such things on a on a grave in the United States. Another prominent monument is that William Washington. I viewed this one from my car so I couldn't get all the information, but it appeared to be a cenotaph, a monument to someone who was buried elsewhere. To this notable figure from the American Revolution, this monument surrounded by an unusual circular iron fence in a large marble column with ivory garland wrapped around it at the base of the column is a rattlesnake a creature i've seen not seen at all in, uh funerally art the snake is taken from the early american gadston flag the first flag carried into the battle of, by the continental marine corps during the american revolution which bears the words don't tread on me this flag has most recently been adopted by the Tea Party, the monument was designed by E. B. White and constructed by W. T. White, the city's most prominent stone carvers and monument builders. I wandered, as I wandered, the cemetery of Charleston, and nearly every graveyard I found monuments of Whites with White's signature. Not far away is the monument of Hugh Swinton Legere, who served two years as a state legislator. Um, South Carolina attorney general, and then a state representative to the United States house and then United States attorney general under president John Tyler. The monument consists of a large marble Corinthian column sitting on a large base. One side of the base is carved with a national crest with a bald eagle. while the opposite side bears images of South Carolina's state crest with a wonderfully carved uh, palmetto tree with a pair of shields under underneath back with 12 spears representing the 12 colonies. All sitting on a fallen tree. Um, the colonists who had built a fort of palmetto logs, and the British Canyon fire seemed to bounce right off. The dead trees represented the defeat of British fleets. The monument was also built by White and is signed W. T. White, Steam Marble Work, One One Five Meeting Street. Legere died in eighteen forty in Boston, Massachusetts, while attending ceremonies. For the unveiling of the monument at bunker hill he was buried at the monument he was buried in the mount auburn cemetery there interestingly this is one of the cemeteries upon which the design of magnolia cemeteries are based mount auburn auburn coupled with the new york city's greenwood cemetery provides the inspiration for the garden city a type of cemetery found throughout the united states these cemeteries created in parks and garden-like settings we're a departure from the unusual churchyards where most people were buried. In 1857, Legere's remains were exhumed and he was re-interred here amongst the Lesh Magnolias. Uh, the cemetery is massive and I easily could have spent many hours, but the swarms of mosquitoes feeding on me every time I got out of my car began to be too much. And then that's when I decided to leave and good thing as I found the locked gate. A jolly man in a pickup truck pulled up as I spoke to the 911 operator. He had the key. Thank God, I told him. As I billowed over the Magnolia Cemetery that I had lost track of time, smiling, he listed some facts about the place. It contained around 33,000 internments, and number is still growing on 154 acres. I'm glad I'm not yet one of those who have found their rest here. Now on to the haunted part of the cemetery. This article I found is Haunted History, the Magnolia Cemetery by Katie Turner. She goes on, um, there were a few investigators that were allowed to, um, investigate the cemetery, and, um, this is what they had to say. By day, the Magnolia Cemetery is a place that families can visit, picnic, and stroll through the grounds. By night, the persona becomes a bit more chilling. We're start, we're starting out with one of the creepiest graves I've ever seen in my life. And that is what we also, we had just talked about, was Rosalie Raymond White, the seven-month-old with the most iconic display. Her death mask, that was once an actual mold of her face, sits upon the bassinet. Death masks aren't common in America because of how costly they are. Um, the question is, are they currently contributing, any of them, and the thousands of graves, contributing to the haunted history? The investigator says that he's had multiple guests on his tour that claim to be mediums, empaths, or have some way of connecting to the afterlife. Many have claimed to feel unwanted or watched while walking around the graveyard. One of the creepiest things that has ever been said to him, I asked her if she was alone, and she said no, they're all watching us. The idea that whatever she meant by that all the spirits are out there watching us, seeing whatever it is that they're doing, are watching us, was unsettling in many ways. Regardless of spirits being present or not, Kuhn said that at the end of the day, we need to keep their memories alive. I just feel like we are kind of a spokesperson for the dead and we're out here telling their stories.
1: Do you like stories that keep you on the edge of your seat? Stories that make your heart race and your blood run cold? Stories that make you wonder what lurks in the shadows and what lies behind the door? If you do, then you will love Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show, the old-time horror radio show that brings you the most thrilling tales of mystery, suspense, and horror. Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show airs reruns of radio shows that aired from 1940 to 1960, featuring some of the best actors and writers of the golden age of radio. Every day, Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show presents a new story that will keep you guessing until the end, with twists and turns that will shock and surprise you. You will hear stories by masters of horror like Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Ray Bradbury, and more. You will also hear stories by famous authors like Agatha Christie, Ernest Hemingway, and John Steinbeck. And you will hear stories starring legendary actors like Orson Welles, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, and many more. Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show is the ultimate podcast for fans of horror, suspense, and mystery. You can listen to Foggy Jack's Old Time Radio Show online for free, where you can find hundreds of episodes to choose from. You can also subscribe to this podcast, where you can get new episodes every week. Don't miss this opportunity to experience the scariest radio episodes of all time. Tune into Foggy Jack's old-time radio show, and remember, it's not what you see, it's what you hear.
0: Now on to more haunted history. Now we talk about Dock Street Theater. Dock Street Theater, interestingly, is not located on Dock Street, but on Church Street. Another quirky fact about the theater is that at one time it was actually a hotel, and now the last surviving Antebellum Hotel. The building, originally known as the Planters Hotel, was constructed in 1809 by Mr. and Mrs. Alexander Calder. Their endeavor was really more of a renovation of a cluster of buildings already located on site. The name of the hotel was an homage to, the, to its guests, and most of the people who stayed at the Planters were actually planters. During the horse race season, these planters from the Midlands of South Carolina would journey into the city to catch the races. After playing the ponies many of the planters were too tired to trek back home or were otherwise unable to travel the distance i'll leave i'll leave all the possible reasons up to your imagination by the 1930s planters hotel was gone and buildings in desperate need of repairs the city stepped in and began the process of restoring the structure as a joint project with the work progress administration as construction began an additional structure was added behind the hotel featuring both a stage and an auditorium as for the theater's name, it was taken from the theater from the 19 thir- 1730s and once stood on Dock Street, now Queen Street. The original Dock Street Theater was the city's first ever theater. For many Charleston- Charlestonians, the Dock Street Theater is a symbol of the city and its people's enduring desire for life. The, present- the performances put on at the theater are produced by the Charleston Stage Company, the largest theater company in the state of South Carolina the Dock Street Theater is more than historic. It is also one of the most haunted buildings in all of Charleston. The construction of the original Dock Street believed to have commenced in the year of 1735, with a grand opening taking place on the 12th of February in the year of 1736. It's located... not. Its location was not far from the current address of the theater. The theater's first incarnation was a short-lived and exact cause of its demise is not clear, but most believe that it burned down in the Charleston Fire of 1740. While the Dock Street burned down, it was replaced with another theater, which remained open for over 40 years. When it was closed down in 1780, it was shut down in large part due to construction of a new and more grand theater just around the corner. Nearly 30 years later, in 1809, Planters Hotel was created by the Calders. The building would go through another round of renovations just a little over 25 years in 1835. It was during the renovation the building received its enduring style, elements of which still can be seen now at the Dock Street Theater. After the work of 1835 had been completed, the Palmer's Hotel became known as one of the premier hotels in all of Charleston. During the glory days of the Planter Hotel it was known to have, to play host to the theater's theater group one of the actors of these theater troupes had has had a name that sounds a, a little familiar Junius Brutus Booth this booth was the familiar was the father of old John Wilkes Booth one popular story about the elder booth occurred during his stay at the Planters Hotel The event of the story unfolded one night after a performance, when for unknown reasons, Booth became enraged and attacked the hotel manager, also killing the man. I guess theater folks are temperamental. And it runs in that family. The actor that graces the Dock Street Theater today are a bit better behaved. Well, at least they have not tried to kill anyone. This successful time period would be succeeded by by the calamity and unfortunate event. Uh, First, the Civil War. Little to nothing went unscathed during that war, but it was especially so for only places in the south, and Charleston was no exception. After the war, the once luxurious hotel became a, a victim of the city's strongly city's struggling economy. The neglect, neglected hotel faced further damage as a result of the devastating 1886 Charleston earthquake. The need of the building had become too great of for any one man in Charleston to take on, and without the slightest bit of hope, the people of Charleston were forced to turn a blind eye to the once great hotel. The, build, the building that housed the Planners Hotel was left abandoned for f- far too long, nearly 50 years, but things were beginning to look up for the once majestic property as there were plans on the way. Those plans came about in the mid-1930s, When the Work Progress Administration, an agency established during the Great Depression to create work for the unemployed, announced their intentions to do just that for the people of Charleston, the work to renovate renovate the condemned structure formerly known as the Planters Hotel. The first step in restoring not just the building, but Charleston's economy, was for the city to hire new workers for the massive undertaking. The following steps was to renovate the old hotel back to its glory. Well, the outside of the building was brought back to life back to the old swinging days of the 1830s and 40s, the building was not to become a hotel again. No, the building was being reborn reborn into a theater. The theater remained open until the year of 2007, when the building was forced to close temporar- temporarily for great needed renovations. After all, it had been 70 years plus since the WPA um, renovated the building. Three short years and $19 million later, in March 18, 2010, The Dock Street Theater held its grand reopening to the delight of the Charlestonians. With nearly 350 years of building under its belt, the city of Charleston lay host to countless ghosts. Some of the city's most infamous lost souls can be found at the historic Dock Street Theater. Guests of the theater have claimed to see spirits roaming about, sights of ghostly shadows in the rafters, and apparitions on stage. Many are left to wonder just who these ghosts were. Were they failed actors? Were they longtime admirers of the theater, or is it possible that something more tragic occurred at the building? Well, there have been numerous sightings throughout the building building's long history. There are two particular spirits that have been seen more than any others: Junius Booth. One of these two specters is believed to be Junius Brutus Booth, the father of the infamous president, pres presidential assassin. No one is quite sure why his ghost is haunting the Dock Street Theater and he was not even in Charleston at the time of his passing. He he lived miles away in Louisville, Kentucky. And aside from performing at the former hotel with a theater troupe and the rumor that he tried to kill the manager of the planter's hotel, he doesn't really have any strong ties to the building, nothing to warrant his haunting of the building. But logic and facts aside, it is possible that the ghost of Junius Booth is indeed haunting the theater. However, it is more plausible that it is the ghost of another lost soul maybe another actor unwilling to leave the spotlight of the stage. The most frequent spotted ghost at Dock Street Theater is Nettie. Some claim that her full name was Nettie Dickerson, while others believed she was nameless, and thus dubbed Nettie by the locals. Nettie lived in Charleston during the 1800s and could usually be found in the Planter's Hotel. She was not a guest nor a member of the staff at the Planter's Hotel, per se. You see, Nettie was a bit of a freelancer. Her occupation was a world oldest profession. She was a prostitute. The ghost of Nettie could be seen gliding around aimlessly through the Dock Street Theater. Some of those who have caught a glimpse of Nettie claim that she wore a tattered yet vibr- vibrantly colored red dress. During the planter's heyday, the hotel was a place where wealthy men of Charleston would congregate. It was a place where they were free to drink copious amounts of alcohol, gamble away a small fortune, and engage in prostitute prostitution. One of these ladies of the night was 25-year-old Nettie. It's believed that Young Nettie was a country girl who dreamed of the city life and arrived in Charleston sometimes, sometime in the early 1840s. Nettie's reason for coming to Charleston was to find love and excitement, but unfortunately for Nettie, she lived in the era where 25 was considered well past the marrying age. The wealthy men of Charleston were looking for brides who were still in their teens. Gross. The They were not interested in marrying someone considered to be a spinster. Aside from Nettie's age, her social status was also a factor. Back in the day, it was very uncommon for people to marry beneath their class. It was especially so in Charleston, a stigma that actually continues in some social circles in the city today. Um, And while many of the men of Charleston were taken with Nettie's beauty, they were only interested in lust, not love. Her dreams of a better life, dreams of happiness and love, now crushed. Nettie began looking for work. Nettie became a clerk at St. Philip um, Episcopal Church, she took the job well and got along with the priest, but nonetheless she felt that she did not belong. It was impossible for her to compete, compete, and she would never truly be accepted in Charleston's high society. Nettie grew tired of trying to get ahead in Charleston and quit her job despite the priest's effort to sway her um, from doing so, begging her not to lose her heart, but it was too late, she had. With the money she, had able, she was able to save and her job at the church, she went to one of the most upscale stores in Charleston, and bought the most expensive dress they had, a gorgeous red dress that would catch the eye of any man. And with her dress, um, she entered the planter's hotel with this very intent. With her new mindset, looks, and red dress, she adapted well to her new profession. Still bitter at the si- society that refused to welcome her, she would continue to go to the church every Sunday. And whenever one of the women, many of whom husbands were Nettie's customers, would cast ap- aspers- aspersions or give her an ugly look, she would audaciously confront the, her woman and her, hus- and her husband. As you can imagine, Nettie's ba- lack of discretion cost her many of her customers and quickly became penniless. Distraught, she snapped. Nettie went into, onto the second floor balcony of the Palmer where, with her red dress and stayed out, of, out there despite the brewing storm. She began shouting out of disparaging remarks against Charleston's high society, even as the storm intensified. The priest who still cared for Nettie rushed out to the street and tried to reason with her. It is said that she then hollered down to him, you can't save me. And as fate would have it, a bolt of lightning struck Nettie dead. While the Palmer Hotel is long gone, Nettie's spirit can be seen at Dock Street Theater, red dress and all.
2: Are you looking for a magician who can amaze and entertain your family and friends? Do you want to experience a show that is full of magic, mystery, humor, danger, illusions and escapes? If you do, then you need to hire Foggy Jack, the shock, bizarre mental mentalist. Foggy Jack is a professional magician who specializes in mentalism, oddity, and more. He can read your mind, escape shackles before your eyes, make objects disappear and reappear, and perform other incredible feats that will leave you speechless. Foggy Jack has performed all over the country, and specializes in expos, fairs, festivals and haunted houses. He has also appeared on TV, radio, and podcasts, where he showcases his skills and personality. Foggy Jack is not your ordinary magician. He is what you think of when you think of the word odd. He is a storyteller who takes you on a journey into his captivating world of Foggy Jack. He combines his talents with comedy, music, and props to create a show that is unique and unforgettable. He will make you laugh, gasp, and wonder how he does it. Don't miss this opportunity to hire Foggy Jack for your next event. He will make it a memorable one that your guests will talk about for years to come. To Book Foggy Jack visit his website or his facebook page you can also watch some of his videos on youtube to see him in action foggy jack is the magician you need to make your event a success contact him today and get ready to be amazed and remember he truly is mental